Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. I'm here today with Arielle Jones, LMSW. Arielle Jones, licensed master social worker, graduated from the University of Montevallo in 2011 with a Bachelor of Science degree in Child and Family Studies and received her master's degree in social work from the University of Alabama in 2016. Arielle received her LMSW in 2021 and started supervision in 2022. She has worked as a substance abuse counselor, psychiatric social worker, and dialysis, skilled nursing facility, human trafficking facilities, and as a medical social worker in hospitals. Arielle is currently serving as a travel social worker and has had contracts in Baltimore, Maryland, and Hershey, Pennsylvania. She'll be starting a contract in Georgia soon to be closer to family. The highlights of being a travel social worker for Arielle are meeting new people, gaining friends all over the United States, and exploring new cities. In her spare time, she enjoys Hulu binges, trying new restaurants with friends, concerts, leisure traveling, and spa days. Welcome, Arielle. Glad to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. Arielle, after reading your bio, my first question is when you were in Baltimore, did you go to any Baltimore Raven games or did you ever see Lamar Jackson? So I'm not into sports and I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. I didn't know that Baltimore Ravens, that that was an NFL team until yesterday. Um, I posted a status on Facebook saying I needed people to help me out with like sports information because, you know, doing online dating, all the guys want to talk about sports and I wanted some information. So the guy was from Maryland and he was telling me all this stuff about Baltimore Ravens. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is an important team. Like I had no idea. I just knew I worked at the hospital and they did stuff with a lot of the players. And so, yeah, now I feel crazy that I didn't do anything. <laughs> do not feel crazy at all. Though no, I am an avid, avid NFL. Uh, honey, we've known each other for two years now. I talked about uh, getting off of supervision so that I could go watch NFL. You should have asked me. I would have given you lots of tips. Yes, Baltimore Ravens are doing so good this year. And Lamar Jackson, he might even become MVP. So yeah, a lot of folks are really excited. You're like, I, I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> I'll have to Google it to see what he even looks like. Oh, yeah. He's a baby. He's a cutie, though. And his mom is an agent. His And he's a, he's a beautiful Black man. His mom is his agent, beautiful Black woman. And they are making millions and doing the dang thing. So we are really, really proud of Lamar Jackson. I'm not even from Baltimore. I'm just, I'm rooting for everybody Black over here. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, you know what? I was reading your bio and I saw you're going to be in Georgia. I hope that you can at least go to the Atlanta Falcons or Atlanta Braves game, or there's going to be lots of opportunity for you to get into sports while you're um, in the Georgia area. So maybe you can put that on your 2024 vision board. 
I said that I was going to try to go to the Iron Bowl. I'm really mad at myself. I said that I was going to do that last year. And then when I found out it was in Auburn, I was like, oh, I'll just wait till next year. Now I don't get to see Nick Saban. So I'm still going to try my best. And I'm going to really try to get more into sports this year. It's really fun. And it's a great, I think it's a great self-care outlet. It helps relieve stress because you can ho holler at folk and they don't care. <laughs> I loved how detailed you were in your bio. And so I'm not going to ask you anymore, but I just want you to go ahead and tell me a little bit about your social journey. And then if I don't hear what I wanted to ask you in regards to your bio, I will, but tell me a little bit about your social journey. How did you get here? Where do you want to go? What are your plans? Um, so like in the, this kind of goes in together. I started college, no, growing up, I always wanted to be a doctor. So every few years it changed, like what type of doctor, like I wanted to be a dermatologist, like different types. And the summer between my senior year of high school and freshman year of college, I interned at a Medi spa. Well, she was a medical doctor, but she also did dermatology and like, um, like stuff. I can't think of that TV show, but she went to school with a lot of, you know, like cosmetic stuff. So, um, that was really fun. And, but I didn't know what to study to be a doctor. And, um, Montevallo had this Facebook group, um, for incoming freshmen. And I met a girl in the group and she wanted to be a doctor. And she was like, well, let's study. I don't think they had pre-med, but she was like, well, let's be biology majors. Well, she told me she was going to be a biology major. I wanted friends. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. Hated science, but I don't, you know, just whatever. So by my sophomore year, I just couldn't do well in chemistry. And I met with my advisor. He told me, he referred me to the um, career center and they did an assessment with me. So my top choice was to be a therapist, but I don't know if I was just shy or something. I didn't really ask them what classes do I need to take to become a therapist. But um, actually when I started college, I had an older cousin who um, started with me and she was a biology major. So a few days later, I ran into her in the hallway and she was like, girl, I couldn't do biology. I had to switch to child and family studies. And I was like, what's that? And she was like, well, you know, you can do therapy with it and stuff. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's what I need to do. So my senior year, um, I did an internship at a skilled nursing facility and, and the lady was, a, they let me work with a social worker and an activities director. Well, um, the lady told me she was a social worker, but she was grandfathered in. I don't think she had a degree, but like with her age, they just let her do social work. Now they require licenses, degrees, all of that. But I told her I wanted to be a therapist and I had started the process to become a counsel like to for the um, counseling program at um, Auburn. She was like, don't do that. You need to study social work because you can do counseling and social work. So I was like, okay. So I applied for UA and got in. But I look back now and all of that was the Lord's plan because um, my we had to do an internship in child and family studies and my internship fell through. So I had to find my own. So I was like, well, I know I like elderly. So let me just look up um, skilled nursing facilities in the area. And I called a place, got an interview. And on the way there, GPS wasn't a thing back then. It was like right before GPS became a thing. So I showed up to the facility that I did my internship and everybody was just looking at me. I was like, I'm here for the interview. And so they interviewed me to be polite, but I was at the wrong place. 
And I had no idea I was at the wrong place until months later. I was like, yeah, I forgot the name of the place now, but it was up the road. I made the wrong turn. But I was like, even though I made the wrong turn, I ended up with the right people. And I would have probably studied counseling if I wouldn't have met her. And that it just I just look back on stuff like that. So, you know, everything always happens for a reason. Oh, my goodness, Ariel. So the place that you ended up at, interviewed you to be polite and you ended up working there or interning there yeah they were so confused and I was like I called I talked to you know whoever and but they just interviewed me I guess they needed help so <laughs> and what did you learn from that place well you, we met the lady who was a social worker who got you there but I'm also I'm just assuming too there must have been may I ask a question child and family studies I automatically went to children but obviously the elderly encompass the family part. So you guys were taught the whole spectrum of the lifespan and then you were able to use that skill set in any any area. So yes, actually just about all of my classmates wanted to work with kids. And the dean of the, the department, she was like, I never had anybody asked to work with elderly. That's why she let me choose my own. So she had to come like before graduation, like sh not shadow us, but just make sure we were doing well in our internship. And she was like, I've never been to a skilled nursing facility. You're, this is where you thrive. Because I had had some issues like leading up to that year where it was a lot of, it was just a lot going on. And she was like, you're going to do really well working with elderly. But um, yes, a lot, a few of my classmates ended up going to Alabama, you know, to become social workers, because back then it was just Alabama and Alabama A&M with social work programs. But I think after I graduated, you know, it's UA, I mean, UAB and like all these other schools now. So those were our only two options back then. Yeah, I remember I, I, I started Alabama in 98. And that's the year A&M. It was the first year A&M started. So I was, I was remembering when it was, it just used to be Alabama as well. I'll roll tie by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But no, what I think I was finding fascinating about that part of your story was um, you were doing something even no one else in your cohort were doing. You were going to work with the elderly versus working with children. So yeah, you may have taken a wrong turn or ended up in the wrong building. And the fact that they uh, interviewed you just to be polite is like, what? I don't think that would happen this day and age. But I think it started because you had a different trajectory anyway with doing something that no one uh, in your class was even doing by going towards working with the population no one else was thinking about. So much so that the dean of the school created probably a new pathway for people who came behind you to mm -hmm. be able to do the same thing. And so I just wanted to point that part out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you started at UA. Were you at Little Hall or was that an online program for you? So I did online because I worked as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we were in Little Hall. I can't, I think my last year, I don't remember if that was the year they started the construction. I remember my last semester, I had one class on campus and that was in Little Hall. So like even my orientation and stuff, everything was in Little Hall then. I think yeah. the stuff came after I graduated, like the um, construction and stuff. The renovation, yes. I, you know what? All the social workers I've met, besides the people I graduated with, um, have known Little Hall what it is now after the renovation. You're one of the very few social workers who remembers it 
before the renovation. It was haunted. <laughs> it was haunted. That's awesome. So you go into you get your MSW. I'm assuming you're in the two-year program. And then you start your career in social work. Talk to me. What was that like for you? Um, so I start, okay, I graduated and I was just trying to pass. Like I wasn't worried about a field or anything, but I remember around graduation weekend, everybody already had jobs. Like all my friends did. I was like, why are y'all applying for jobs? Like we just, we're about to graduate. So I ended up getting a job maybe three weeks later as a substance abuse counselor. And I was there about two years. And by the time I left, most of my classmates were on their second and third job. And I was just like, mm -mm, y'all need to stick to job. I still had that old mentality of staying in the same place. And I remember at that job, we had to do supervision weekly with the um, supervisors. And they would tell me, I think I was 26, 27 at the time. They were like, when I was your age, I had several jobs. Why are you trying to be loyal to this company and stuff? And I'm like, well, it looks better on a resume. But now looking back, you know, I stay places <laughs> once a year and travel has really helped with that. But um, so I started off as a substance abuse counselor. I was there two years, ended up moving to Chattanooga um, because they were opening a brand new psych hospital. So when we were trained, like our first day, the social workers, dietary, nurses, everybody was trained together. I mean, we were pulling plastic off the walls, brand new equipment. So I wouldn't trade that experience because how many people can say that they've worked at a brand new psych hospital? So um, I did that for two years. No, I was in Chattanooga two years. And then I've told you the story about my mom like getting sick. So I had to move back to Birmingham. But her getting sick really not saying... It influenced my career like as a social worker because, you know, I've listened to different podcasts on here. I, it took me multiple times to pass my licensure exam and I was always super close. I think the last time I took it, I missed it by one point. And after that, I was like, I give up. I don't care anymore. I know I'm a great social worker. I'm just going to find jobs that don't require a license. And I didn't take the test for another two years after that. But when my mom got sick, she, the social worker at the hospital called me and I was like, well, I guess I have to move back to Birmingham. What, what do I need for like to work at this hospital? And so I think she talked to her supervisor and they said, you need a license. And I was like, okay, well, I'll try one more time. But it was funny because I think it was the weekend before my mom went in the hospital. I had been like for weeks, I had been applying to, I knew I wanted to leave Chattanooga, but I wasn't sure which city I was leaning toward Charlotte. But for some reason I felt I wasn't ready to move that far out. And I had interviewed with this college because I talked to you about wanting to work in higher ed. Interview went great. That was one of the best interviews I've ever had. We were laughing. I thought I had the job. And they just randomly called me and told me they were going with someone else. And I'm like, what in the world? So I was like, well, maybe I can do Knoxville because it's a little close. It's closer to home, but still kind of further to get me ready for Charlotte. But when my mom got sick, I was so thankful because if I would have been in Charlotte, that would have been rough trying to come back and forth to the hospital. But um, so I registered for the exam. I took it, passed, and I was able to get a job as a medical social worker. I remember emailing my mom's social worker and I was like, I finally passed. Are y'all hiring? I don't know if they were hiring at the time, but within a few months, um, I was working there. 
So yeah, that started my medical social work career. <laughs> so Ariel, you had taken it several, I don't, I don't want to know, say several, but you had mm -hmm. taken it a few times and you had given up. And then when your mom gets sick, you're like talking to her social worker at the hospital. She mm -hmm. says you have to have your license because you're like, I'm not doing that again. And then so when you went in, when you go in this time, right? And you're mm -hmm. like, I have to have this if I'm going to work as a medical social worker. This would be the best interest of what's going on in my family for me to go ahead and get this license. That feels like that would have been immensely it feels like a lot of pressure, but yet you passed. What what was different this time for you? I honestly, I know it was the grace of God because when you pass, people always say, what was on your exam? What did you study? What did you do? Honestly, I survived that week because all the other times I studied, I knew my material back and forth. And this time I couldn't make myself study. I remember I took off a week to study and um, we had a rough week at the job that I was in. And I mean, all of us were under a lot of stress. I remember one girl had to go to the hospital for her blood pressure and she's younger than I am. My body literally locked up that week. I couldn't get out of bed. Like my mom was praying over me because I had the stress from work and my licensure exam. Cause you know, I have testing anxiety. So um, I took the test in Chattanooga again, but I remember it was a Saturday. So I think my test was on a Monday, but I drove up and I just prayed. I was like, God, like I can't take the test when I'm stiff like this. So I went to the chiropractor. I found out about float therapy. I don't know if you know what that is, but you know, just floating in Epsom salt for like 90 minutes at this um, place. So I went there and I remember while I was floating, I was like, you know what, if I pass, I pass. If I don't, I don't like, I can't keep stressing myself out. Like it's ridiculous. And, um, so I remember I was so calm when I walked in, I took the test in three hours. I was like, okay, did I answer something wrong? I just submitted it. And when it said, cause it still said like pass or fail on the screen at that time. So I was like, what in the world? Like, what do they mean pass? And I'm like looking, but it didn't seem hard at all. But what's crazy. I always say, you know, I've been saying things happen for a reason. There was a question on the exam and it was about, um, it was about like medical psychosis, like in the I ICU. And it was, it described my situation with my mom. Cause I remember one day my mom was like talking out of her head and I asked the nurse, I was like, what's going on? And they said, well, it's, um, some kind of medical psychosis. They explained it backwards and forwards to me. So when it said a daughter was in the hospital for her mom and just all this, what's going on? And the answer was like something along the lines of medical psychosis. I was like, God, like you really do look at, I know I got that question right. I don't know about anything else, but I'm like that. It's just crazy how he does stuff like that. So that is so beautiful. Oh my gosh. That is so beautiful. And so as soon as you get your license, you start supervision. And now here you are. Where do you want? Well, you know what? Before we move to where do you want to go? I would love for you. You know, I don't know if you heard Tori's episode. She briefly talked about travel social work. You're having a different experience. You were one of our first, right? You've been, you've been, you were the first in our, in our community. Um, and you've inspired so many. I think we now have maybe seven or eight travel social workers that are in our community and 
you know, can you talk to us about your travel social work journey and give, you know, even any tips that you would think might be beneficial? So I actually started looking into travel social work right after I started that hospital job. I interviewed with the company. They told me you needed about two to three years of medical experience. And at the time, like I told you, I worked in psych. I was like, well, I've worked in psych hospitals. Um, does that, well, can I just do a year of medical and then do the psych? And they were like, no, you need medical. And I didn't understand why. But now being a travel social worker, I understand you really need the medical part if you're going to do both. And um, so I was like, okay, well, I'll just stay here two years, two or three years, and then look into travel again. And I was in a travel social work um, Facebook group, and my recruiter posted um, that she was looking for social workers. And she was like, just email me your resume. So I sent her my resume. I was like, whatever, you know, I think it was a Sunday. By the end of that week, she had my references checked on um, my back, like everything was submitted, and I was getting interviews. So, um, I would suggest, of course, the medical experience. I think some of the girls in the group, they do travel for psych and travel for prisons. And there's all types of travel, home health, school social workers. I prefer medical because I'm just not into the psych field. But even with medical, you do a little bit of psych and all of the stuff. Um, so I was a medical social worker for a year um, that helped with my experience. I've been doing travel a little over a year now. Um, and that's really my plan to just I, for to at least stick to travel this year, because because I, I think in Tori's episode, she talked about, you know, getting her LC and I, you know, I have my LM, but I don't mind getting an LM in multiple states. You know how we feel about multiple state licenses. Um, so I'll be done with supervision in a few months. And so I am looking forward to getting contracts with an LC because the pay is a little higher. And like places like California, they don't do LMSW contracts. You're still an MSW. So it just opens um, doors because one of my friends that I got signed up, she passed her licensure um, sometime last year. So now I think she's an LC in three or four different states. And she's still an LM in Baltimore because they have such a strict um, process to become an LC in that state. So like when you're an LM, you, if you're working there, you have to do supervision. So I did supervision while I was there. But yeah, that's that's my travel. I don't know if I answered all of that. Like, do you have any? It's okay. I do have some. We'll just flow with the conversation. So I guess the first thought I have is, you know, I was a couple. And so you answer how you want to. How what have been some of the benefits of being a travel social worker and was it scary for you to take that leap to to because the contracts are you know 13 weeks at a time and so leaving a stable I feel like you were at the hospital maybe a couple of years or whatever leaving a stable job to go into this unknown world of travel social work what was that like for you and what are some of the benefits and what are some of the cons of working in travel so, you know, I, along with just about a lot of people in the group, we don't st stay places long. So I do like stability. But if you get to a contract and it's terrible, you just have to remind yourself it's 13 weeks. And I don't care if I like the contract. I do a countdown every week. I'm like, OK, I survived three weeks. I survived 
half the contract. And it just motivates you to keep going. Um, because I remember one day in supervision, one of the travelers, I think you asked her why she couldn't take off or like, you know, with regular jobs, you can take off and request PTO with travel. You have to get all your stuff approved before you're, before you sign your contract. So it's a little harder to take off as much, um, unless you have like a random sick day or something. But, um, so that's been one of the positives, um, the length of the contracts, you meet a lot of people, you learn how different states do things. And it just, it opens your eyes to how people do social work in other places and like the needs for things, because, you know, homelessness, transportation, all this stuff is a big thing in every state. But like, I remember when I was in Baltimore, the social worker who trained me, she was like women, like homeless women who are homeless here, have a tougher time getting placed than men. And I thought she was just saying that. By the time I left, I was there six months. I never placed a woman in a shelter. It was always the men. And I was like, that's weird because like Alabama, it's the opposite. Like people focus more on women and children than men. And I mean, it should be equal, but that was the first place that it was, you know, men, like the preference was men. So. What happened to some of the... Um of doing travel work being away from your family mm -hmm. um and you know i make friends easily baltimore i had besties my first day hershey i it took me a while to make friends and so i thought that maybe it was something i was doing wrong you know i'm in therapy I was talking to my therapist about like ways to make friends and all of that and i'm like i haven't i've never really had trouble making friends but i you know the travel social work group is a big thing and i remember before i started they people were saying a lot of times hospitals don't like travelers so um I go into contracts knowing you, you never know what you're going to get because like Baltimore, they were thankful for us. Hershey, there were a lot of travelers. So it was kind of divided between travelers and permanent. And I'm the type of person that I like to bring people together. So, I mean, I tried and I'm just big on that. So I guess it like the hospital environment could be a con depending on where you go. A lot of times you're not trained enough. Thankfully, I've been trained at the hospitals and I always ask in the interviews, how long is the training process? But I have seen with other travelers, they say either I got a day of training or I didn't get anything. So you just know going in, just know your stuff, like do your best. Um, let me see, being away from family. May I jump in here? You said that you like stability, but then you jumped straight into and contracts are 13 weeks. And I was like, whoa, that's an oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> how, so, how are you dealing with love for stability and having such short contracts? I, I really struggled with this last time because I hate moving. That's another con, like having to move. So like with the contract that I'm doing now, they pay, they have contracts with not hospitals, like extended stays and hotels. So with everywhere else, you can do a hotel because they just pay you for your housing. But like, I like to do a part, I like to do hotels at least the first two weeks to get to know the area and then like be looking for apartments 
like in the meantime. Well, in this case, I started looking for apartments and you would make less to do that. Like you have to do all that on your own. So when you extend, it makes it a little more stable because you're there for six months and you don't have to keep looking for housing and you don't have to go through training again and get licensed and all of that. But it's like, would I really want to be in a permanent job, not making as much? And then I can't take like I've been off for a month now. You can't do that at most permanent jobs. So that's the pros and cons about it. So it's like you suck it up or you just get a permanent job. What advice would you give someone who's thinking about taking the leap? I say do it. I talked to several of the girls in the group and they were asking me questions. One in particular, she was like, I forgot what concern she had. I was like, girl, just do it. Like you, you, I'm not going to say you can't fail because you can, but just, I mean, most of these companies are good and they'll just get you another contract. Like I've talked to my recruiter several times about that because I have a fear from hearing other people get dropped their fourth day and you've spent all that money to get there and that time and energy. But um, I'm always here for questions. That's what I always tell people. Um, but like I said, everything happened quickly for me because that was like September and I started the beginning of November because I had to do a 30 day notice at that job. So, um, but yeah, it's a need. And I, I mean, you just have to be bold and do it and do your research as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the things that I've enjoyed is it's not just there, the women or the social workers, as you say, we are, our one dude just graduated yesterday. So shout outs mm -hmm. to Marquez for graduating uh, from our community. But one of the things that I've loved seeing in regards to the tribal social work phenomenon, because it was not a thing when I was still in the community has been, it's women, it's social workers of all ages, it's social workers in all types of relationship status, married, single, um, social workers who have kids, who don't have kids, um, social workers are doing not just hospitals, but they're at the prisons doing tribal social work and in rehab centers and in um, other, other school social work too. What are you seeing, because I know you went to the conference re recently, what are the demographics, what are the types of social workers that you're seeing doing this type of work? Um, Like you mentioned, the different ages, like I have, you know, I'm single with no kids. There are social workers I work with who are single and no kids. Um, my first contract, one of my travel besties, she was single, but she had teenagers. So she lived in Philly and would go home every weekend. Like she had joint custody and made a um, pact with her ex to keep the kids during the week. And so we did that about six months and she was like, no, I miss my kids. So I, the social worker you're talking about with the kid, I mentioned that to her and I'm like, people do this and they have kids. I mean, because it's up to you where you're placed. Um, some people want to be close to Alabama or they don't mind being further out. And um, so, yeah, it's all ages. I've worked with people who are close to retirement. They, um, their kids are um, what out of high school now and it's like they're starting over. And, you know, it's all types of demographics. 
it's all of us doing all the kinds of work. So yay. Mm -hmm. Thank you for taking a little time to do that with us. One of the things I got from your social work journey, well, before I go there, Ariel, you know, we heard how you, you know, your journey, how you got how you got here, but where do you want to go before I move on to that next question? So I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, it it really started this month in our supervision group. You know, last year we did the vision board party and I'm really excited about it. I think tomorrow or whenever we have it. But I listed all of this stuff that I wanted to do in 2023 and I didn't accomplish everything, but I accomplished a lot from the list. And I did my bingo card yesterday and it was more practical stuff like um, really. I feel like it's stuff that will help me later on in my career, like character stuff and just, you know, health stuff. So, um, like I said, I want to finish travel this year and possibly next course, become an LICSW. And um, I mentioned higher education. I'm still kind of on the fence about that. But eventually I want to go into politics. I don't know what right now, but I'm looking into different areas. So hopefully, <laughs> you know, I'm excited about that part of your journey. <laughs> I get excited about thinking about social workers on the hill and Ariel definitely can see you doing that as well. I want to just piggyback on something you just said It, you know, you had all these grandiose and like you said, met them goals for your social work career that were, you know, very, um, career oriented external goals you know you made the money you want to make you've traveled all over this great country and even the world with your leisure travel right but now you're taking a step back and like I want to take better care of myself I loved in your bio how you said travel for leisure because you know we we talk about that like don't wear yourself out so much that you can't enjoy when you're traveling for leisure. And so the fact that you're wanting to come and like, I want to pour into myself. I did the outward thing. I have, I, I know that I'm going to be great in the social work profession, but now I'm going to take good care of me. And I'm just curious, what made you decide to pull that energy back and pour it into yourself a little bit this year? So, um, on New Year's Eve, you know, I text you that whole weekend. I was in New York waiting for the ball to drop. And I remember crying like that was one of my um, life goals to see that. And I still wasn't happy. And I'm like, all the stuff that I did still didn't make me happy at the end of the year. So I'm like, what is happiness? What will make me happy? And I'm like, with yeah getting my health right i'm not saying that being healthy would make me happy but it would contribute to a lot of the sickness um my character stuff like you know being on time and you know just all this stuff you have to be on time if you want to be and reliable if you want to be in politics and stuff like that so what can i do this year leading up yes i'll still be a travel social worker but in a few years when i want to run for office or you know just work my way up have I done everything when I was working regular jobs to get to that point? I love your plan the long game. Ah, that is mm -hmm. awesome. That is really good. One of the things you were talking about that's going to lead me into this next question is in Hershey, it was a struggle a little bit to uh, make connection with friends. And, you know, part of the reason I, I wanted to do this podcast is because I realized the importance of community 
social work community in particular over the last three years. So what social work communities are you a part of? What social work communities have you created? And what social worker social work communities do you want to be intentional about being in in the future? So travel social work has been the biggest because what I didn't realize before starting, even though it's a it's several companies, it's a lot of travelers, the community is small. At my hospital, um, let's just say we had 20 travelers. Um, one of the girls who was at that hospital, we're actually starting at the new hospital together. And we're both from Alabama and all of that. And I think that's cool. But I learned, I think, two or no, four social workers, they worked in Oregon together and ended up in Hershey. Um, two of them worked in New York. And so you never know um, where you'll be placed. One of the ladies, um, she left my assignment and um, she was saying, I was like, well, bye, you know, I hope you do well or whatever. She was like, you know, you don't say goodbye as travelers because I could see you next year, you know? And then seeing this girl start with me Monday, I was like, it really wasn't goodbye. But I think that's been the most exciting because, you know, being in Vegas for the travel conference, I still, one of my best friends that I made there, she's in Birmingham. We've been texting the whole time I've been off. She's like, well, can you tell me chicken wing places and stuff? And I'm like, she's from Alabama, but it's like the cater or something. But um, it's fun meeting people. And um, I know in supervision, you've talked about um, becoming involved with the NA, wait, NASW. Um, I really want to do that because being licensed in multiple states, I know how to get CEUs in um, Alabama, but I have to renew my license in Maryland. I don't know where to start. So I think that would be easy being connected um, with the NASW. And you mentioned one other thing. You said travel connected. Oh, networking in general, because mm -hmm especially as a traveler, you know, you meet with coworkers, liaisons. And I had a um, patient, I think it was like either psych or eating disorder. It was hard to find placement. And I reached out to a girl I worked with in Tennessee, who's like a corporate person and has several places And Pennsylvania is one of her um, hospital. And I was able to get help with that. So it's just a constant networking. I'm always friends with people, like no matter where I go. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody in our group has reached out to you at one point or the other. I, you know, closing that circle before I move on to the next question, Ariel, is did you end up connecting and making friends in Hershey? Yes. Um, it was really one thing my therapist told me, she said, you're trying to be friends with travelers. Why don't you be friends with permanent people? Because I would become friends with the travelers and their contracts would end. So then I would have to find a new friend. She was like, well, most of the time the permanent people won't leave. So a lot of my besties were permanent, but then the, a lot of the travelers, we still have group chats, you know, so, yes, I did by the end. And you're merging those two worlds together. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Like, we're Great. not enemies. We we all are just here to help each other. And I, I remember one time we were at a social work um, staff meeting and I was like, OK, but y'all have said all this social work stuff. What about the Christmas party? You know, like and so they were like, are you a social chair or something? And I thought about it. Every job I've worked in, whether it was permanent or um, 
contract, I've always tried to bring people together and do stuff. Like it was Taylor Swift's birthday and I made everybody wear pink and like red lipstick and stuff and national donut day in June. Like we, yeah, I always celebrate important days, people's accomplishments, you know, boss's day, stuff like that. You are the event coordinator. You're the social work <laughs> event coordinator. I hope y'all did some for Beyonce's birthday too then. <laughs> I was actually, I was off for her birthday. Ah. <laughs> so I think I was in Birmingham, but I did think about that for next year. Oh, good. <laughs> Aria, what is one belief about social work that you started on this journey with that you feel has changed the most for you? Definitely the money. Um, you know, since I've started supervision, you have always told us there aren't any broke social workers. I had never heard that before. And I remember applying for jobs and the highest salary I would see was 70,000. And I'm like, okay, well, I can make 70,000 and live and stuff. And then in the vision board party last year, I was like, well, let me shoot for six figures. And I actually made it by like November last year. So I'm like, social workers really can make a lot of money. And I remember um, one of the girls in supervision, She, I think she works in prisons. And she was like, well, you know, you can come this way. And I forgot how much she said that they make. They make a lot. And one thing I told her, I was like, y'all make a lot because of how dangerous it is. When I was working in psych, we made a lot because you have to fear for your life every day, you know? So it's like, I want to create a social work job that makes a lot of money. And you can in social work especially with an LICSW. <laughs> you want to create a social work job that makes a lot of money that's safe, that you don't have to put your life in danger, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. And congratulations on those six figures, girl. That is awesome. Thank you. I, this is an interesting question, but it's one that I I don't know when we when we started our talk together. I was just one that came to me, and so I'm just gonna go ahead and ask it. It's our last question. Enjoy talking with you today, and thanks for coming on. But my last question, Ariel, is: Has social work or the social work profession ever broken your heart? Um, definitely, because. Oh my goodness, I have so many stories in my head right now. I remember the first time my eyes were just open to the real world. I was a substance abuse counselor and I believe my client was my age. And um, I'm doing her assessment and she's naming all this stuff she's been through. And I went home and I know people say you're not supposed to question God. I do it all the time. I'm like, God, we're the same age. Why has she dealt with so much trauma? It's not like I was saying, oh, I want that to happen to me. But I'm like, why her? Like she was literally just born and from birth to now she's, it's just one thing after another. So that really, I remember I talked about it in supervision at that job and the, the supervisor actually let me be off for a couple of days to just process that because I think I was crying in supervision because I think she was um, withdrawing when she came in my office and that's always heavy to see, but it wasn't like if she would have been a new patient, that would have been different, but I had already had her as a patient. She left and she came back and you could tell it, it was just rough, but um, there have been other cases because, you know, you get attached to your clients. And um, I just thought about one more. Um, it was right after I moved to Chattanooga. 
one of my old patients in Alabama, and I don't think the person should have done this, but I mean, it was all over CNN and stuff. Well, um, like I said, I was there for two years. I had a client whose baby was born while I was there, um, while I was their counselor. And um, somehow either the baby got into some drugs or something at one and a half and overdosed and died. So I believe they've convicted people. I still, it's so many different stories about what happened, but I remember being in Chattanooga, just wondering what my patient was going through because I know he loved his kids. Like from all of our conversations, like small stuff would happen and he would feel like a bad dad. So I'm like, I wish I could talk to him, but I knew I couldn't. And it's just the reality of the populations we deal with. So yeah, it's, and you know, I've talked about leaving the field and I, actually that's what took me so long to start supervision because I had a traumatic situation happen, right? Like the week I got my license, I was like, no, they didn't warn us about this in grad school. So let me find something else where I don't have to cry going home or have nightmares, you know? <laughs> but yeah, so. Mm -hmm. So why do you stay in the profession, Ariel? What is it that makes you love social work? Because I'm needed and I'm, I do well in these jobs and I'm the perp. A lot of these patients don't have anybody else. So if I can be like, you always say, let me be medicine. If I can be the medicine that they need, the love that they need for that time, I'll do it. I mean, I just have to learn how to practice self-care so I don't have to take it home every day. My old um, supervision person in Maryland, the supervisor, she was like, you have to learn how at 430, to leave it at the door, like do whatever you need on the way home. And I think you've said that too. listen to your worship music or whatever on the way to work and on the way home just to decompress at the end of the day. But while I'm there, I'm their social worker and I'm in their world. So, yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Well, take, I love that in 2024, the priority is self-care. I can't wait to see your vision bingo board <laughs> i love that so you are needed whether it's with your clients whether it's in the meso social work community and when you go into politics into the macro social work world you are needed so just keep falling in love with the profession keep falling in love all right it's been so great this conversation has been so good today do you have any last comments any final thoughts you want to share with our audience today one thing I thought about, um, my, I mentioned, you know, my mom when she was in the hospital and had her amputation. During that time, I was working at a skilled nursing facility and the position that I had, it only required a high school diploma and I had a master's degree, but I was off of work for like maybe three or four months, couldn't find anything with a master's degree. I mean, I applied everywhere, interviewed, just couldn't. I And I remember... I did the interview and I told God, if I don't get this job, I'm going back to Birmingham. And I got the job and I was just like, okay, you know, whatever. So I loved it at first, but I dealt with a lot of stuff there. And I remember just about every day I was crying and I was like, God, why am I here when you only need a high school diploma and I'm being mistreated so poorly? And I remember when my mom got sick, I was 
in the hospital with her. I had been there three weeks and I was spending, spending the night with her in the hospital. And that last night I woke up out of my sleep and I realized if I wouldn't have worked there, I wouldn't have had all the resources to help my mom because I was able to talk to the physical therapist. He showed me how to set up the equipment at home. I was able to talk to the um, nutrition director and he told me what type of diet my mom needed for her condition. Talked to the occupational therapist. Um, I talked to the billing office about the insurance my mom needed for rehab and to get a prostate. God just sent people to help me. And I'm like, I would have been lost without that job. So I'm like, I don't care what my degree was, it was needed. So that's one of the things I say about no wasted moments. You're where you are for a reason. You might not know, and it might take a year or five years or something, but in the end, hopefully you realize like why you were, you know, dealing with what you dealt with, because I mean, everything worked out because I had a few friends deal with the same thing my mom dealt with and they all came to me and they were asking questions and in my head, and that wasn't like me. And I'm like, well, how did they not know this? And I'm like, they didn't work at a skilled nursing facility. They didn't have all the people. So God allowed me to help them. So yeah, my mom, she did great. Like with home health, we were firing her home health people because she's running through the house with one leg and just all that. And like, she healed quick, quickly. And we just needed that at that time. I love that. Absolutely. No wasted moments. And Ariel, can you believe that you were working at that skilled nursing facility and all you needed was a high school diploma. And now last year you made six figures as a travel social worker. Yeah. I didn't even think about it like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember that was the brokest time of my life. Cause that was during COVID and you know, the, that was just four years ago. Yes. The unemployment, having to apply for food stamps and all this stuff, so being your own social worker and, I just remember, I because I remember once I left Chattanooga, I was like, how in the world did I pay all my bills? Like, it had to be God, because I don't even want to tell you how much I was making, but it was, it was embar not embarrassing. I don't know how I paid my rent and everything. It, it was the Lord. He knew I needed to be there. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love that as the final thought. It's just like, if people are feeling heartbroken, in social work, social work may be breaking some hearts because you said, I say, there's no such thing as broke social work, social workers. There are broke social workers yes. just in our community because we work on changing our words and our language and we work on our vision board. They ain't going to be no broke social workers in our community, right? But mm -hmm. what we do know to be true is, you know, as people are working their way up to a higher vibration, Social work could be breaking their heart. But what I think I just heard you say is there's no wasted moments. You're exactly where you're supposed to be at this time. And literally three to four years later, you could be making six figures like you did last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ariel, thank you so much for coming on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast today. This was such an amazing interview. And I'm so glad you shared that story about your mom and please give her our, our our love because i love how she inspired all of us today thank you for listening to today's episode of the goddesses of social work podcast we are glad you were here if you like this episode please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on apple or spotify 
See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.